0: And just to note that this is not a, a sort of sermon on marriage in the sense that you would say this is uh, the constituent parts of a good marriage. This is a look on Proverbs, what Proverbs has to say about marriage. Uh, same with money, children, it doesn't say everything there is to say, but there are certain themes that Proverbs says, so uh, some of you who have done premarital counseling or things like that, and you start in Genesis and work your way through, we're not, we're not really doing that type of thing tonight, we're just looking at what I think, think are some issues that come up over and over in Proverbs, and so um, this, the, the long-awaited series on how to have a happy marriage will have to wait uh, until I really get that one sorted out, uh, or Scott, uh, you're free to, to do a 20-part series on that once you have sorted it out. <laughs> So uh, that's just a a note tonight. This is um, just a a very specific look at what Proverbs has to say. And uh, so uh, the text we'll be um, reading from is in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 beginning at verse 15. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. Well, let us pray and ask God's blessing to be upon us as we hear his word preached. Our Father, we thank you for your word. You write through your servants so many helpful matters of which uh, the world certainly turns a deaf ear, and indeed, sadly, even in the church. We ask, O Lord, that we will not be those who have ears but do not hear, or eyes but do not see, but rather we will be those who, by the power of the gospel, are submissive to every word that proceeds from the mouth of our Lord. We pray this in His name. Amen. Well, the book of Proverbs is an interesting book because you have to uh, make sense of it in far as you don't allow... Uh, yourself to get too carried away by an interpretive grid that can lead you astray. So there are certain commands that are offered from the perspective of uh, a father speaking to his son. So you look at the first several chapters and it's very um, blatant that uh, the, the advice is, my son, and then again, my son, my son, my son. Could we also take Uh, The advice offered to the son and flip it around and say this is a mother speaking to her daughter, yes, but it is from the perspective of a father to his son. That doesn't mean there are no applications to uh, daughters. It does not mean that the reverse is not true. You have to understand that this is a father speaking to his son and not therefore say, well, why does it not have anything to say to daughters? Uh, I could say something to my son and it would be appropriate to his context, his age and whatever. And I would also have something to say to my daughters. This is one perspective of a father to his son. And the basic message is avoid bad women. Um, And that is about as short a summary of the first uh, seven to ten chapters as you can get. But there is also uh, a lot of other statements that are off handed statements that are scattered throughout the book that do relate to marriage. So in Proverbs chapter twelve, verse four, we are told an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. It is also true that an excellent husband would be the crown of one's wife but he who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The opposite is usually always the case as well. In Proverbs 18.22, a proverb that uh, was offered to me as an early Christian, and one that I memorized from a very young age as a Christian, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And what is clear about the book of Proverbs is that the uh, statement, he who finds a wife finds what is good, is speaking about the godly wife, is speaking about the faithful wife, is speaking about a Christian wife. He who finds a Christian godly wife finds what is good and has found favor from the Lord. Another chapter onwards, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14, we are told, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So, when somebody finds a spouse, in this case a man finding a godly wife, the emphasis in Proverbs is that such a person has found favor with God. God has provided. There are a lot of times in Scripture where we speak about how parents provide, or relatives, or a father for his children, things like that. But it is a unique thing when you see a sort of direct blessing from the Lord. And a godly wife is described as a direct blessing from the Lord. Is it also true that a godly wife is the result very often of her parents raising her well? Yes. We know that to be true. But God seems to take the direct credit for a godly wife. And I think the same would be true of a godly husband. Now, I was reading some of the old poets and moralists and sometimes what even people in the world have to say about marriage. And uh, one philosopher said, "...it is vain for a man to be born fortunate." if he be unfortunate in marriage. It is vain for a man to be born fortunate with all sorts of blessings and honor and dignities if he be unfortunate in his marriage. And that is indeed the case. A bad marriage can ruin a life. And I mean ruin a life. So as chapter 1 tells us to embrace wisdom, the remaining 30 Chapters show us what this wisdom actually looked like, and adultery is expressed early and often in chapters 2, chapters 5, chapters 6, chapter 7. There are 65 verses in those chapters alone that address the problem of unfaithfulness, or conversely, faithfulness. So when we get to chapter 5, for example, and we will spend a little bit of time here, we will see there are some important aspects of what constitutes a godly marriage. Notice the first point, and this is something that Bridges brings out in his commentary on the book of Proverbs. Charles Bridges, you can get it for free online he says desire after forbidden enjoyments naturally springs from dissatisfaction with the blessing in possession when one is dissatisfied with a blessing in possession there will often be a desire after forbidden enjoyments now what does solomon say to this young man Well, the first point I want us to notice is there is an emphasis on joy or delight or satisfaction or pleasure, whatever you want to call it. The goal of marriage is to give you great pleasure, is to give you great satisfaction, to give you great joy and happiness. Clara should be the happiest person in the church right now. Sorry to single you out, Clara, but Scott already did in his prayer in Surrey and today, tonight. Uh, You should be so happy because you are about to get married. And marriage is an occasion for great delight. Now, what does the Scripture have to say? Well, look at verses 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed. There's the first blessing and rejoice and rejoice in the wife of your youth let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a lovely deer a graceful doe let her breasts fill you at all times with delight be intoxicated always in her love this is something that Christians should affirm without any form of embarrassment, that we believe that God wants to bless us in very unique and distinct ways. And one of the greatest blessings that God can give to a man and to a woman is the gift of marriage. And in the context of what we are being told here in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, a great deal of that is the physical side of that. We are not uh, Cambridge Platonists. We are not those who uh, believe that somehow the true identity of a person is in the soul and the body is some sort of uh, evil place to avoid. And the higher spirituality is when you can leave the body and be this free-floating soul. No, God has made us both body-soul composites. And you are not truly human unless you are both body and soul. That is your identity. And God has created pleasure for the body. That may be in the things that you eat. It may be in the things that you drink. It may be in the beauty that surrounds. And it certainly is in the physical relationship between a man and a woman. It is to be enjoyed and not avoided. And so we are told, let her breasts... And that is basically synecdoche, where there is a part for the whole. Let her, in her sexuality as a woman, fill you at all times with delight. I don't know what the all times means in reality, by the way. The Scripture doesn't actually go into those types of details, because... Uh, we are not Muslims where you pray five times a day and you face a certain direction. The all times is like the praying at all times. You notice how so many people say, what does it mean for to pray at all times? Well, just remember that whatever answer you give for praying at all times, you may need to give for this verse. So be careful how spiritual you are. Basically, we can say that it should be a consistent pattern in a marriage, so long as health and age and everything else, notwithstanding, a consistent pattern where a healthy marriage will be known by the delight two people have in intimacy with one another. Be intoxicated always. You should actually enjoy that relationship, that physical relationship that God Has given you. So there is an emphasis on joy, delight, satisfaction, and pleasure. You're a young man and you want to get married. You have a lot to look forward to. God wants to bless you, but God wants to bless you on His terms, and you have to trust that you will actually receive a greater blessing doing things God's ways than doing things your ways. Many young men, because of the plague of pornography, actually do not enjoy sex. Not only before their marriage, but during their marriage. They live in sexless marriages. And they suffer from all sorts of problems because their minds have been warped by images and by videos and so on. They haven't done things God's ways and they end up suffering. You cannot actually live a life with greater pleasure than what God truly offers. You cannot. So there is an emphasis on joy, delight satisfaction and pleasure there's also an emphasis in verses 15 to 19 on it's being within marriage so notice in verse 15 drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well should your springs be scattered abroad streams of water in the streets let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. The seventh commandment, maybe you grew up in the church uh, sitting here, good Dutch person, a URC church or a Canref church, and the Ten Commandments were read every Sunday, and I have no problem with that, I'm not here to criticize that, but I am here to say that a lot of times we hear the commandments in the negative, do not commit adultery, do not steal, and we forget that the Scriptures actually not only teach the negative, but they command the positive. Do not commit adultery means that within the marriage you should be fulfilling the intended purpose of the marriage and that is found here in Proverbs chapter 5 verses 15 to 23. The 7th commandment actually protects you not only from adultery but protects you so that you can enjoy the blessings that belong uniquely to the marital relationship. And so conjugal love, as uh, Charles Bridges, a Scot, mind you, said the greatest earthly blessing, conjugal love, is the divine remedy against lack of self-control. God gives to those who are married conjugal love as a remedy for a lack of self-control. And so there is an emphasis on joy, delight, satisfaction, but there's also an emphasis on it being within marriage. That is God's intention. For happiness to truly exist, it must be in the context of marriage. There's also an emphasis in verse 20 on avoiding other women. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Who is the forbidden woman? It is anyone who is not your wife. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? There is an emphasis on avoiding other women. And with that, there is an emphasis on avoiding judgment. You see that in verses 22-23. to The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. God is warning through Solomon to the young man, do not involve yourself in another relationship with another woman. It will lead to judgment. You can have blessing. You can have joy. Don't Do it. And you just flip over to the next chapter. If you just go over to the next chapter and begin reading from verse 27. Here, the young man is to flee from fire. There's no such thing as friendly fire. Proverbs 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will not he will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Some of God's fiercest judgments in scripture have to do with reference to sexual immorality, and here God is warning the young man, do not do it. You will pay severely for a moment, a fleeting moment of delight, you will pay with shame, with dishonor, with regret, with having to look into the eyes of someone you once made vows to or loved and saying, I did this. It's not worth it. And it's as though you would almost want to take your sons or your daughter with the hot coals, And say, Walk on these, walk on these hot coals and tell me your feet are not going to get scorched. And you would say, You're a madman. Why would you do that to your boys? And if that was the only way in which you could convince them that adultery will be ten times worse than the pain they would experience from those hot coals, I would do it. I would. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm willing to stand by it. If I knew that my boys had to stand on hot coals to learn a more valuable lesson to never commit adultery, I would do it. But that is God warning you here. You will pay. The problem is that there is an allure. And Solomon understands that. If you go back to chapter 5 and look a little bit early on in verse 3, It's not as though Solomon's unaware of this. In fact, if anyone's aware of how alluring beauty can be, it is Solomon. For the lips, verse 3, of a forbidden woman drip honey, not vinegar, honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. Just as Solomon is warning the young man, so we could also warn a young woman about a man whose lips drip with honey whose speech is smoother than oil. But if he is not a godly man, and if he is not someone that you could marry, or he's someone who is married, that person is going to destroy you. That person is going to let you down. That person is going to be a gross disappointment to you. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 25, we're told, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. In other words, there is an allure. It's not as though Solomon doesn't understand that there can be a real temptation. That someone speaks to you in such a way and they drip with honey their words smoother than oil and there's an allure. And he's saying there is an allure, but don't do it. Charm is deceitful. Proverbs 31, verse 30. And beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So what is the solution to the allure? It is faithfulness. Most of the book, as I said, is about a young man being taught to be faithful. Proverbs 3, 3 opens up This way, with a call to faithfulness, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Do you want to find favor and success in the sight of God and man? Be a faithful person. There are many, many people who have said, I love him or I love her. And they have loudly proclaimed their love for one another. And then they have been unfaithful. Faithfulness is actually the most important aspect of a marriage. With the world having no clue about what love really is, the scriptural pattern of love is bound up with faithfulness. If there is anything that you want from your spouse, it is faithfulness. Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 12 An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband, what? Trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. What are you looking for in a spouse? What are you really looking for? If you do not look for faithfulness in a spouse, you are on a dangerous, dangerous path to unhappiness. Let me assure you, There are so many things that we get caught up in the world of what we look for. Money, looks, success, and all of the other things that a godless woman or a godless man could provide. But faithfulness is something that will enable you to sleep well at night and enjoy the day to know that your spouse, whether your husband or your wife, is faithful. Why? Because they are first and foremost faithful to God. They are faithful with their soul, but they are also faithful with their body. There is a connection between the body and the soul. And you want to find someone who is faithful with their soul to God, because if they are faithful with their soul to God, it is extremely likely they will be faithful with their body to You. And if they are faithful with their body to You, is it extremely likely likely that they are faithful with their soul to God? Now, there could be a hundred points of application. With just a few minutes left, I want to bring out some things that I've seen at least in my own ministry. The one... Sin that I think has caused most ruin in any one family, whether days, weeks, months, but almost always years and decades, is faithlessness in a marriage. The consequences of faithlessness in a marriage are so far-reaching to those involved, especially regarding children and their children's children, that such a sin has profound effects upon not just the couple, but upon multitudes of people. It will have effects upon your parents or your children. It will have effects upon your friends. It will have effects upon the church. I know there will come a point where I'm going to need to also tell you about how the blood of Christ and the Gospel can deal with this problem, but I'm not going to short-circuit the reality of what faithlessness does in a relationship. I'm not going to quickly jump to, oh, how the Gospel, don't worry, Jesus forgives you for your sins, it will all be fine. It won't actually be fine in some respects. Look at David's life in 2 Samuel and tell me everything was fine even after he confessed his sin. It wasn't. Even after he wrote Psalm 51, were his sins forgiven? Yes. Was his family ever the same? No. It wasn't. Your life will never be the same. In a moment of madness, you can undo decades of respect and honor that people have afforded you. You can lose the trust of not only your spouse, but your children, your friends, and everyone who knows you, because you have acted like a madman or a mad woman. And I will also say, based upon my experience, and I do not lie, that this is not just about men being unfaithful, women are unfaithful. And that is because it usually takes a man and a woman to be unfaithful. Why that is? There are obviously many reasons. Now having said that you can never fully undo the consequences of your sin, though you can have them dealt with in terms of forgiveness. There is always hope when the Gospel is present. That said, the one ground that we are explicitly given for divorce, and I'm not saying this is the only ground, it is a complicated subject, but the one explicit, obvious ground for divorce that our Lord speaks of Is that of porneia. And if you look at the ancient Greek use of the word porneia, it is actually connected with faithlessness. So, except for marital faithlessness, you cannot have a divorce. And that faithlessness is summed up in porneia, in adultery. It is not being faithful to one spouse. So that is the one ground that is obviously given for divorce. Though there may be other reasons, I think. But if there is any hope for anyone, it is twofold. First, in the Gospel, in preventing you from ever committing that sin. And secondly, in helping you if you have been affected by that sin. So first, in preventing you from ever committing that sin, the person who fixes their eyes upon Jesus, the faithful one, the person who sees that their sins have been dealt with, the person who is looking to the redemption they have in Christ and all that God has done for them, and understands that God is out to truly bless you and take care of you and honor you and give you all of the things that you wish in life. If you really believe the Gospel, you can really believe that your marriage is one where you can have great success as a faithful servant of Christ. It is a preventative measure, the Gospel, but it is also a corrective measure. And there have been marriages that have been able to be sustained, though there has been great heartbreak, because there has been forgiveness. There has been compassion. There has been one person who has been harmed who has actually decided that they will forgive another person. I'm not saying they necessarily have to. In some cases they do not have to and they can leave the marriage. But there are many cases in where the Gospel is able to heal what otherwise would be impossible. And where the Gospel is not present in the life of the person who has been harmed, you will end up in a life of bitterness and regret and unhappiness and anger even if you were to separate and ultimately divorce from the person who has harmed you, you still need the Gospel to move forward. You still need the Gospel to trust that God has ordered your life in such a way that He ultimately knows what is best for you, and that He loves you whether you were married or whether that you are now divorced, and that He is going to take care of you because He is your God. And so whether it is the Gospel that prevents faithlessness, or whether it is the Gospel that promotes faithfulness, you all need the Gospel for any of these truths to be taken to heart. Let me assure you, and I say this for the last time, there is nothing more precious than the Gospel But there is nothing more precious than when the Gospel actually does precisely what the Gospel is meant to do. And that is protect you and assure you and comfort you in the holy bond of marriage, which is a great gift that God has given to us to enjoy. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for the gift of marriage and pray that we may know how to enjoy Your gifts and not ruin them. Faithlessness, O oh Lord, is bound up with sin, and so we ask that you will not only forgive our sin, but keep us from sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, so that you may have the glory, and that we may be satisfied in your glory being brought out in our marriages and our lives. We also pray for protection for those who are not yet married. That they may be faithful towards You, knowing that You have all manner of blessings stored up for them. And that we must trust You with everything in our life, whether the Gospel or whether our spouse or whatever it may be. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.